appreciate that. It's great to have young talent in the church. Amen? Yes. Amen. I love that. That's awesome. Well, good morning to you again. I'm glad you again are with us, and I pray that God would be able to speak to you today as I have the opportunity. And of course, when you go hunting, it's good to have a hunting dog with you. And in, he did this on this particular trip in September of 1941. And like every other time when he'd return back from a hunting trip, he would go into the painful, painstaking, annoying job of pulling all the burrs out of his clothing. He also, of course, would pull them out of his dog's fur uh, that, that was in there as well. And uh, it was just one of those things that was, was amazing to think through the tediousness of that. And as he did this, uh, he began to think about, well, what is really going on here? What is happening? And so he decided to examine these burrs under a microscope. And what he determined was that there were hooks, lots and lots of hooks, and lots and lots of loops. Hooks in the burrs, loops in the clothing. And as he processed this further, he thought about the possibility of binding the two materials reversibly in a simple fashion if he could just figure out how to duplicate the process, the hooks and the loops. And so after a decade of research and work on this, he was granted a patent in 1951 for his invention. And the 1960s invention became very useful to our Apollo astronauts. Uh, I see the slide has jumped ahead of me, and you can already know what I'm talking about. It's what's called say, Velcro. How many of you have Velcro, ladies, how many have Velcro on your purse today or Velcro wallet or something? How would we go about life without Velcro? I have no concept how the past generations lived without Velcro, especially if they surfed and had a leash on their board, right? Uh, well, I share this story with you because Velcro can serve as a great metaphor, the topic of today's message, which is life groups. So this morning, I want to talk to you about life groups. With life groups starting back up on September 25th here at Grace Hills Church, today I want to explore why. Why do we have life groups, and why is life better together in life groups. And then next week, what I want to do, I want to invite you to be back here, is we're going to explore the blessings that come from being in a life group. So let me ask this question. Why do we offer life groups at Grace Hills Church? Why do we offer life groups at Grace Hills Church? Well, let me give you two rationale. The first rationale is this. If you have your notes, you can take them out and start filling this in. When faced with a need-to-know or need-to-grow situation, you need the Bible to guide you. When faced with a need-to-know or need-to-grow situation or circumstance setting in life, you need God's Word to guide you. Think of it like this. Think of it like the Velcro that I happen to have right here. Let's say that this Velcro here, this piece, because there's two pieces to Velcro, as you saw in the slide. Let's say this side, I think it's, this is the hook side. Let's say this side represents the Bible. And it can hook you in to the truth, right? We want to be hooked in to the truth. So let's say that this represents Scripture. The Bible tells us that we're created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Wow, powerful answer. Love it. But to do that, I want to submit to you, you need the Bible. 
to hook in to do those good works. The Bible tells us it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, the man of God, the woman of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped to do good works, to do every good work. So the first rationale, why we have and why we offer life groups here at Grace Hills Church, it's because you need the Bible to guide you. There's a second rationale, though, and here it is. When faced with a need-to-know or need-to-grow situation, you need other Christians to support you. You need other Christians to support you. Again, this would be like bringing out the other side of the Velcro. This, I believe, is the loop side. Uh, This side is kind of different texture, different feel. And let's just say that this represents the community of believers. Let's just say this represents the church. All right, are you with me? So using this analogy, thinking about this, this bringing our church together. Did you know that there are 59 one another's in the New Testament where you have that phrase one another? You know these, like love one another, uh, be kind to one another, uh, accept one another, uh, forgive one another, be at peace with one another. And when you evaluate the New Testament church, I like what Andy Stanley says. Look at the quote up on the screen. The primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. I like that. He continues and says, when everyone is sitting in rows, you can't do any one another's. Does that make sense? One anothering one another's. And so if you think about this and you process this, you see at Grace Hills Church, if we're just about getting people into the rows, into these seats here on a Sunday, we will miss out on the abundance of opportunities life groups provide to us to be the church. To be the church. And when we seek God's word to guide us, when we pursue biblical community well what we do by doing that is we create a natural community we create a natural ability an opportunity for one another's for us to create that opportunity to be one another's to do the one anothering of one another's because the fact is it's hard to do the one anothering sitting in rows as opposed to do the one anothering in circles, or up on her feet, or engaged in someone's house. In reality, it's in someone's life. So some rationale to give that to you, why it's important for us, the rationale for why we have offer life groups here at Grace Hills. Because we need God's word to guide us, and we need other Christians to support us. So coming back to this, if we allow God's word to hook into us, We become one, and we're a strong, bonded community of believers because we have God's word, and we have the support of one another, and we're held together tightly and perfectly as God designed us to be. As Dr. Larry Osborne said, we become the sticky church. We become the sticky church. If you and I were talking about life groups a little bit more, in other words, let's just say you said, Bill, I like you so much, I'm going to invite you over for lunch. And I said, I appreciate being liked, and I accepted your invitation. And we came, and I sat down at your table, and you fed me something, a delicious meal, and we had something to drink with it. 
And you said, you know, Bill, would you go in a little bit further about life groups? Like, what are some other observations or points you could make about life groups? And I would say, you ask such great questions along with preparing such great food. Let me share with you between my bites of your delicious meal what those would be. One of the observations I would say to you is this. It's up on the screen. Life groups help you counter self-sufficiency. Life groups help you counter self-sufficiency. You know that Satan is a master. He is really, really good at getting you isolated and alone in the Christian life. He loves it when you turn away from the church, when you isolate yourself and say, I don't want to be a part of the church. The church is all messed up. And I don't want to get messed up like that church, right? Because that makes a lot of sense. Here's another observation I would say. Another point I would give to you is this. Life groups reflect the Trinity. They reflect the Trinity. They reflect God's word. And they reflect the heart of God's church. When you think about the Trinity, there is a group there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a community, if you will. When you think about God's word and you look into Acts chapter 2, as we're going to do next week, and you see the church, the New Testament church, being engaged and studying, hooking in to God's word. They're looped in by it. We see that happening. And we also look and we think about the New Testament letters. If we were to look through the rest of the, the New Testament, Letters are written to the churches, and they are speaking of and reflecting on the community of believers that God desires, desires us to be. And then as we're wrapping up, maybe now we're going on to dessert, because that's really why I came over, right, is to get to your dessert and enjoy that cup of coffee with you. I would say this last observation, this last point would be this. Life groups require a significant commitment, but... They allow you to enjoy a more abundant life. That's kind of the statement where I lean into the table, set my cup down and the fork down, and I tell you, you know, I just want you to know that life groups are, they require a significant commitment. And I take a sip and I'd sit it back down and I said, but the good news besides this bite of delicious whatever I had that you've made of dessert would be your life will be more abundant if you are plugged into a community group. You know what I've observed in the three months I've been here at this church? I've observed, I got to see the first two weeks, the last two weeks, I should say, my first two weeks, your last two weeks of life groups for the past year. You and I noticed multi-generational people. It's multi-generational. There are people of all ages engaged in life groups. And I love that about us. I love that. And it doesn't matter what age you are, what background you come from, we're engaged into God's word. We're engaged in the community of believers. And so the title of my message, if you notice on the top of your notes, says this. It says, why life is what? Better together. Thank you for the four people that responded. It says, life is what? Better together. I want to talk to you about why life is better together. I've given you some rationale. I've given you some observations and points over that delicious meal we just had. And I, I gave that to you. But what I'd like to do for the remainder of our time this morning that we have is to show you why life is better together. We're going to listen to a man, one of my favorite men to listen to in all of Scripture. 
Jesus gets first. We get that. But this guy is, is the next guy I want to listen to. And his name is Solomon. Solomon is an amazing man, and I love learning from him. Following the death of his father, King David, Solomon became Israel's third king in 970 B.C. And what we get to see here is right as the beginning of his reign, Solomon is given an opportunity that is unbelievable as I read it to you now. As I've read it in the last service, it still amazes me. Here, here's what the opportunity was that God came to him and said in the night. He said to them this, Ask whatever you want, and I shall give you. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. What would you do if God came to you in the middle of the night and said, I want to wake you up because I have something to tell you, something to offer you? And you decided to kind of wake up a little bit, and you're like, well, it is the Lord. And God says, here's why I'm here. I'm going to make it right to the point. Ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Now, I don't know about you, but that would make me wake up. If I wasn't awake yet, I think I'd be awake at that point. I think my response to, to God might be, that is a, you're serious, okay, because you don't, okay, you, your promises, oh, yeah, okay. I don't know what I would say other than, could I get some time to think about this? Anything I want? Anything I want. That's what, and it's from God. It's going to happen. What would you say? I don't know about, about you. I barely know about me. <laughs> but we do know what Solomon's answer was. This is further on in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10. And Solomon said to God, all right, here's his answer. This is his response to God's offer. Anything you want, I'll give it to you. Here's what he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, or chapter 1, verse 8. And Solomon said to God, Thou hast dealt with my father David, with great loving kindness, and hast made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, thy promise to my father David is fulfilled, for thou hast made me a king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. That's a lot of dust and a lot of people. Here he says, here it is. This is what his response is. Verse 10, give me now wisdom. And knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can rule this great people of thine? I don't know about you, but I don't think I would have been smart enough to have said, Give me wisdom and knowledge. We read on further that God granted him wisdom and knowledge, and that also because Solomon didn't ask for wealth and power. And prestige, he gave that to him too. Because he asked for wisdom. To that I say, good answer, Solomon. Good answer. Because we all know, right? We would want that wealth. We want that power. We want that prestige. And yet he yielded that and said, God, I want wisdom. And God says, I honor that. 
and I'll give you these other blessings as well. Because God is just that kind of God when we come to him with the right heart. So as I thought about this, as I processed this, what we have here is Solomon comes along and he goes forth in his, his reign as a king. And what we see in Solomon's life, a lot of his life, is we see a life that used that wisdom sometimes. Have you ever been given something from God that you use only sometimes? An opportunity maybe that God gives you and you only take advantage of that sometimes? Like the opportunity to share Jesus with somebody? You're like, I'll get around that opportunity another day. Or, or some uh, blessing that you could bestow upon somebody else to pray for them, to stop and pray in their hearing. Like, oh, I'll have to take care of that opportunity later on. Well, Solomon knows what it's like to be given something from God and go, oh, I'm not going to use the greatest thing that he's, been, that, that, he's, that he's given me. And what we see in Solomon's life is we see a life that's pursued apart from God, a life that's lived saying, I'm not going to use that wisdom and apply it to the decisions I make. I'm going to go do what I want to do apart from what's wise. And what we have is we have a book that records Solomon's reflection looking back on his life and looking ahead to the future for us to read today, where he says to us, hey, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've gathered in pursuing life apart and life alone on my own. And the good news is, is that Solomon received this blessing and was inspired by God to write it down for us, and we get to see it. And so I invite you to turn to his memoir, the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. And what we're going to find here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, is Solomon's perspective on life together. Solomon's perspective on life together. So if you go to the middle of your Bible somewhere, you'll find the book, one of the books of what? Poetry, right? So we get to read poetry today. We don't get to do that every Sunday, but today we do. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, hope you find it there. Let's look at this for a few moments that we have together. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, let's just look at verse 7. Solomon says, Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. Let's just pause right there. I looked at vanity under the sun. Once again, and what you see as you go through the book of Ecclesiastes, you see Solomon stopping and looking, and he says this word, vanity. Your Bible might have the word meaningless, or you might have the word useless. You might have somewhere in a more of a paraphrased version, like a living Bible that says, a chasing after the wind. Well, that's what he's making here. He sees another meaningless, useless, pointless, ridiculous situation here. And I might add that as he writes this, I believe what he's doing is he's writing back and looking back at his life apart from God. His life apart from following God's word. His life apart from being in community with others. In fellowship and worshiping the Lord as he should. This word is used 37 times in the Bible. In fact, what's, or in Ecclesiastes, you know what's interesting is the theme of this book. The theme of Ecclesiastes is the futility 
of man's search for meaning in life apart from God. The futility of man's search for meaning in this life, but apart from God. And notice the word futility. Notice the word vanity. Notice the word meaningless. That's his conclusion of it, hence the theme for the whole book of Ecclesiastes. He says here, and I looked again at vanity under the sun. Well, that phrase under the sun is used many times in this book. And what that means is, it means when he lived his life apart from God. Apart from God. And so that's the context, that's the setup, that's the setting here. And so Solomon prepares us to hear about the perspective he's gained. It's a contrast between the life that's been lived alone and apart versus the life that's lived in community in fellowship with others. Here it goes, verse 8. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother. Yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, quote, and for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity and a grievous task. You know, if you're looking for a book in the Bible to be a pick-me-up kind of book, don't go to Ecclesiastes because it is a book full of the, just the transparency of Solomon's life going, this stinks. I've lived this life. I know what this has been. And God's inspired him to share it with us. And so he looks at this person and contrasts this, uh, this setting of a person who's all alone, is self-sufficient, they're isolated. That's the first part of verse 8. The second part of verse 8 is the result. It turns into selfish greed. It turns into self-sufficiency. And what he's saying here is it's not a good life. If you look at back at the very end of verse 8, I don't know about you, but I would not want this said about my life. He says, this too is vanity, it's meaningless, and it is a grievous task. That's the kind of life I want, right? A grievous one. But that's what this person has had. Apart from God, under the sun. Pursuing life on their own. Apart from God's word, apart from other people. And so with verse uh, 7 and 8 setting the context for us, Solomon contrasts the person who is alone and isolated from God and his word. And other Christians with a person who is God-centered and guided by God's word and supported by other Christians. Let's now look at verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. <clears throat> but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn. In these four verses that I've just read to you, we have the answer to the question of the day. The question of the day is this. Look up on the screen. Why is life better together in life groups? I want to answer that question. And within those four verses that I just read, Solomon gives us five reasons why life is better together in life groups. Here we go. The first reason is this. Life groups sharpen one another. Life groups sharpen 
one another. Look back to verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Two are better than one. Let me just ask you this. How many of you tried getting dressed for church this morning with one arm, using one hand? I thought, Warren, you were going to raise your hand. You were scratching your head. I was going, wow, impressive. You look good. I'm guessing those that were still trying to do that are still trying to get dressed at home right now and never make it to church. It's next to impossible. And in fact, you might say, well, Bill, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Well, try it sometime just to realize how truthful that statement really is. It is ridiculous. Hence his point. You need two. God gave us two arms just to get dressed. A practical, simple, pull over the car for a moment and just think about that simple fact. I think we'd all agree that having two arms to get dressed is better than one. I think we'd agree with verse 9 that having two arms to get dressed is a good return for what? Your labor. <laughs> right? And so the same is, can be true about our lives. Being in a life group is better than being alone. In other words, another way to put this is life groups help produce spiritual fruit. Life groups help produce spiritual fruit. This word return is the idea of producing more spiritual fruit. It's the idea of becoming sharper, such as what Proverbs 27, 17 says. Look up on the screen. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's what life groups can do. It's why life is better together. You know, one of the uh, 59 one another's in the New Testament is Romans 15, 14. Again, look up there. It says, I myself, Paul writes, am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to what? Instruct one another. To instruct one another. Within life groups, within that community, we are able to instruct one another. That's what he's telling us. When we sharpen one another, in love, we grow to become more like Christ. Look at Ephesians 4.15. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. We will sharpen one another. We will grow up together. We will produce spiritual fruit. Ephesians 5.21 says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Think about this idea of sharpen your life. A number of years ago, when I got married, I was told by someone who said, hey, you need a good set of knives in the kitchen. Is there any ladies here would say amen to that? Amen? So I was like, okay. So I got a set of what are called Cutco knives. They're pretty nice knives to have. A few years later, I'm in youth ministry, and I have one of my students who's graduated now in college, and guess what he's selling? Cutco knives. And he comes over to our house and gives us a presentation. And being that I'm a compassionate youth pastor, and because I love my wife, I said, let's buy some more knives, right? Can't win. Can't, can't, can't lose on that one. I can win for sure. What I learned was this. He told me that a dull knife is ineffective. You're all staring at me going, we knew that, Bill. Okay, moving on then. Here's what I didn't know, though. He told me that a dull knife is more dangerous than a sharp knife. A dull knife is more dangerous than a sharp knife because you don't have the predictability of what's going to happen with that knife as you would when you know it's sharp and you know it'll cut. 
to think about that reality. It's like living the Christian life alone. You're going to be ineffective, and whether you realize it or not, living the Christian life in a way that pleases God is going to be dangerous for you because you're pursuing life apart from others. So why is life better together? The first reason life groups sharpen one another. They produce spiritual fruit. Here's a second reason. Life groups encourage one another. Life groups encourage one another. Verse 10 continues Solomon's thought process from verse 9. Look at the first part of verse 10. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. If either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. Notice what Solomon says about the Christian who lives the Christian life on their own. Let's look at the rest of this verse. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. So we have this contrast. Looking back on his life, writing this down in his memoirs, if you will, and now he's sharing it with us. He's going, look at this contrast. And that's what he's bringing to us here in verse 10. Life groups encourage one another. As I thought about this, I thought, you know, I wonder if the Life Alert ad came from verse 10. You know the Life Alert ad, you can complete it. I've fallen and I what? Can't get up. And what does he say about this? He says, woe to the one who falls when there's not another to what? Lift him up. And yet many believers, many Christians go through life going, hey, I can be isolated. I don't need anybody to lift me up. I got this covered. And and, and Solomon says, whoa, not so fast, right? He tells us that, instructs us with that. And Satan has led many Christians to believe the, the lie that we can struggle, and when we struggle with sin, when we face that, that it's better not to tell anybody and to isolate yourself and don't embarrass the church and don't bring that up, but to hide that. Tuck it away. Don't let anybody know your real struggles, your real problems are the sin that you deal with on a regular basis because we don't want to not be perfect and look the part, right? Have you been there? And yet when I look at this, I'm looking at this and learning that the truth is that being in a life group is better than being alone. Because another point I bring out with this, life groups promote spiritual restoration. Life groups promote spiritual restoration, Life groups are designed to encourage and support one another. Ephesians 4.29 says this. It's up on the screen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, encouraging others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Why life groups? Well, a reason I would give you is they encourage one another. They encourage one another. Here's a third reason why life is better together. Life groups stimulate one another. Life groups stimulate one another. To illustrate the reality, the benefit expressed in verse 10, Solomon gives the illustration of warmth or heat in verse 11. Look at verse 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Solomon writes, Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone. How can one be warm alone? As I thought about that, how many of you get cold hands from time to time? I get them from time to time. Now, what do you normally do if, to warm up your hands? You bring them together, don't you? 
and you seek to try and warm them up. You might need to do that today. I don't know. You know, one of the things I've noticed if you've ever gone snow skiing or snowboarding is that sometimes your hands get cold. And there's this little invention that was made called a heat packet. And you rip that open out of the package and break it up inside. And the, and the material inside starts warming up. And you put that inside your glove and you're like, oh, that works. I were thinking about this too, about this idea of warmth and the contrast of that. I have a good friend of mine from, from seminary. His name's Anthony Salem. I used to hang out with him. We did a lot of uh, classes together. And when we would play games and have a lot of fun in the downtime, every now and then I'd do something or say something, and it's like, March, that's so cold-blooded. That's just cold-blooded. And I laughed, and I thought, what do you mean by that? He's like, it's just, that's just cold-blooded. You know, it's cold-blooded. And as I thought about that, I share that with you because as I think about this cold-blooded nature of our lonely world, Life groups stimulate warmth. Life groups stimulate to being together. How? Well, a great answer is found in Hebrews 10, 24. It's up on the screen. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Another way to put this verse, and let us consider how we may stimulate one another on toward love and good deeds. To put it another way, Life groups prompt spiritual zeal. Life groups prompt spiritual zeal. They spur us on. And I put another passage in Hebrews for you to look at later on this week just to see some more examples why life is better together. Here's the fourth reason of why life is better together. Life groups defend one another. Life groups defend one another. Now, when you see this, you might think, I didn't know, but I need to be in a life group to be defended. Well, work with me for a moment. Because another illustration or example in contrast to verse 8 and supporting verse 9 is found in verse 12. The first part of it, look at verse 12a. And if one can overpower him alone, two can resist him. Another way to put it, and if one can overpower him alone, two can defend him. A community, a life group can defend him, can support him, can be there for him. In the context of life groups, life groups provide spiritual protection. Life groups provide spiritual protection. You know, when my daughter Kendall uh, was born, and she was, I don't know, four or five months old, I was a youth pastor at the time, and I was sharing one night, and I mentioned just, I don't know why, uh, I said, oh, I have a daughter now, and you guys have seen her and all that, and I said, you know, I've been told it's wise to get life insurance, so I probably should do that. Unbeknownst to me, there was a student that night who was there, and his dad happened to sell life insurance. Guess who I got a call from the next day? <laughs> Thanks a lot, right? Well, I can say to you, I have had life insurance since about that month. Why do I have life insurance? Why maybe do you have life insurance? For protection as a defense against poverty. In other words, if I was to die prematurely, life insurance serves as a defense for my family. It serves as to protect them in the midst of that loss of income. As I thought about that, as I think about this, how do life groups provide spiritual protection? 
How do they provide spiritual protection? Well, in two ways, transparency and prayer. Look at James 5.16 up on the screen. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Oh, that's real easy to do. <laughs> confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it is effective. Paul said, when I am weak, I am what? He's letting the whole world know his weaknesses, his temptations. And he says, hey, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am transparent, I am stronger for it. When I allow people to pray for me in my weakness, I am stronger for it. It gives it a, 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 a defense. In his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul highlighted Timothy's concern and defense for others. Look at Philippians 2, 20 and 21. I have no one else like him, Paul writes, speaking of Timothy, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that times have changed and this verse has no truth whatsoever to today's society, right? Ha, 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 right? No, we, we recognize this and go, if no one else like him, he is speaking of Timothy, he takes genuine interest for others, specifically the church. A number of months ago, I started here, three months ago now, that I started here as the associate pastor of Grace Hills Church. And leading up to that, you probably had the opportunity, if you asked Pastor Mike Ford of the elders, a copy of my resume. And if you would have gone down to page three at the bottom, you would have seen something called references. I had seven references. Well, what was the point of that? The point was I could put up all this information and say this is me and this is my history and this is what I've done. But then the leadership here at the church could call and say, could you vouch for what we have here? Could you give, if you will, a defense of what this person is claiming? And they were able to, apparently successfully, which I am grateful for those references. Similarly, your life group can vouch for you when you're in one. Your life group can come to your defense when you're in need. That's an amazing reason alone to want to be in a life group and why life is better together. And when we look back at verse 8, this person didn't have this blessing. And look at what Solomon's comment was at the end of verse 10, Woe to the one who falls and has no one to defend them, no one to stand up for them, no one there. Why is life better together in life groups? I've given you four reasons. Life groups sharpen one another, they encourage one another, they stimulate one another, they defend one another, and here's the last and final one. Life groups sustain one another. Life groups sustain one another in a climatic fashion using simple logic, which I appreciate. Solomon states that if two are better than one, then three's got to be even better. Look at the last part of verse 12. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. This verse takes on a little bit of a different meaning for me. I mentioned about the journey in life insurance with my with, with Kendall, 
When my wife, Pam, was pregnant with Emerson and doing one of the ultrasounds, they detected something that was abnormal. We're going, great, thanks for the ultrasound info. <laughs> you know what it was? He was determined to have only a two-strand umbilical cord. If you don't know, like I didn't, our umbilical cords have three strands. And so because of only the two strands, they wanted to monitor the pregnancy a lot more closely, which meant a lot more ultrasounds. And I thought to myself, in a sense of crazy, like in a moment of just frustration, like, thank you, God, huh, for ultrasounds. Now I'm stressed out. <laughs> I'm tempted to worry. And I don't mean to sound all spiritual here or some great pastor. I just thought, what am I supposed to do with that? I'm supposed to take it to Jesus. And so I thought, you know what? I know how to pray for this pregnancy unlike the other one. I know how to pray for this child in the setting that he is in because God's going to have to intercede here and work through that. I share that with you that three strands prohibit or prevent physical weakness. Right? Thus, he was monitored. And similarly, I want to share this. Life groups prohibit spiritual weakness. They prevent spiritual weakness. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 10, 25, when he says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Let us sustain one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Paul understood the value of being sustained by others when he wrote in Philippians 1, 3 to 5, up on the screen, last verse, I thank my God every time I remember you, church in Philippi. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He understood that. He understood how he had been sustained. A couple years ago, in the life group I was in, the church I served in before, we had an NCIS agent in our life group. And I thought, this is cool. Can I see your badge? Are you serious? You, can I see it? Can I hold it? Can I touch it? Can I put it in my pocket and flip it out? Like, that's what, you know, kind of thing. I go, is, this, is your job as exciting as it is on TV? I kind of had a feeling I know that the answer was that she'd say no, but I at least had to ask. And so this one particular evening, we're meeting together, life groups in session, studying God's word, we're in fellowship with one another, supporting one another. She gets a phone call. She gets up, goes into the back room in our house, comes out and says, I've, I'm sorry, I, I've got to leave. I've been called on to a case right now on Camp Pendleton. Like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I got to go and investigate a death that just took place. So at that point, we stopped what we were doing. We got up, and we put our arms and our hands around this, this, this young woman, and we prayed for her. And she took off and went and did what she, she does as an agent. The following week, we, we, we said, Amanda, tell, tell us well, what happened with that. How are you doing? I'll never forget what she said. She said, you know, I felt your prayers in a difficult case that I was, that was put upon me that night. 
What was interesting was she was called to a case where a young couple, infant, had, had died. And she had to investigate to make sure there was no foul play. But also she shared with us, which I was like, huh, was the, the family, the, the mom and dad were believers. And, and they sensed your prayers too. Because that's the power of life being better together in life groups. So here's a final thought. Now that you know the reasons why life is better together, why not join a life group? Why not? I have given you five simple reasons of why you should join a life group. We have life groups that meet at Grace Hills Church Monday through Thursday at different times uh, and different places uh, at homes as well. Uh, there's a sign-up table that's available for you to do that. You can put on a card if you want to do that. If you've been in one, great. I want to encourage you to do that again. Because here's the deal. When we think about this and we do this, when you velcro yourself to the Word of God and to other believers, well, simply put, life is better together. Father, I stop and I thank you for the way that you've brought us in to this community, this church, that, God, we can know about you through your word. And, God, I thank you for the life groups that we have happening here in this church. And I thank you for the opportunity, God, that you're giving us to join one here in just a couple weeks as we start up on September 25th. God, I thank you for this church and that we had so many people across multi-generations involved in life groups. And, Lord, we've revisited why we have them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bind us together in your word and with one another for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.